0: We started a series last week that I'm calling GOAT. Sorry, I don't have a slide this week. I got busy with some different things, so I don't have my title slide and and my verses this week. But we started a series called GOAT. And and what we're looking at, for those that don't know, we're not talking about GOATs. Um, What it stands for is greatest of all time. Greatest of all time. And so what I want to try to do through the month of April is we're going to walk through just three different qualities because we got three Sundays of God that make him the greatest of all time. So last week we looked at the prodigal son and the ways that we see the father's love for us and an unconditional, no strings attached love that he has for us. I think this week um, coming into, as it's Palm Sunday and coming into Easter, I think this is a really good one that I want to look at, and it's this idea of forgiveness. This idea of forgiveness. And and the kind of forgiveness the Father extends to us each and every day, each and every moment that we choose to go against Him. But I was thinking about this a little bit. So when I was in high school, um, some of you know my story. I'm not sharing my story here this morning, but um, I chose a lot of my own choices, went down my own path, um, that sort of thing. And so there was one Sunday, we showed up to church, and I'm sitting in the sanctuary, And I had had a couple rough weeks and just sitting with my family. And we had gone through the service. You know, we did the singing and and listened to Dan's message. And there was, uh, I think, a time at the end that they had like a worship song or a time of prayer that they were kind of just letting us um, sit with God in that moment. And I remember standing there, or sitting there, and I looked down, um, like, down the pew. And my oldest sister, she's a year and a half older than me, I see her just like sitting there and she's just crying. And I'm not totally sure what's going on, I know mostly it's probably relating to something because like I said I would had a couple rough weeks, something that I had done and there was something inside of me that started to get really angry. Because I was sitting there and I'm going okay either one you're taking this way too far and and crying over something that's not even your problem or you don't need to make a big scene because of all that I'm doing. Don't worry. I didn't say this. This is what's going on in my head. Um, and I'm like, so I'm like, you know, it's it's getting me frustrated. And, and you know, my mom was kind of help comforting her, and, and they're talking to her. And so after the service is over, my grandma was sitting behind us, and she was watching kind of this whole scene, and she had known some stuff that was going on. And so she said, hey, do you want to go out to lunch? So I said sure. So, so I get in her car. She takes me to Bob Evans. We have lunch, and we're trying to have some conversation. She's trying to just ask questions and, and to get me to talk and, and and just talk about different things. And there was a moment that we're sitting there, and we're sitting at this little table across from each other. And she finally, she finally just brings up, you know, what happened in church. You know, what do you think about? your sister and and how she's dealing with all of this um, and what you're choosing to do. And this is what I said. I looked at her straight in the face and I looked at my grandma. She's 60 some years old. And I said with the most straight face, I don't know why she's crying and why she has to worry about my problems. And I looked her straight in the face and said that. I've never seen my grandma really get shaken, cry, anything. But after that moment, she didn't say a word. We got in the car. She dropped me off and she went home. And I remember for so long, and even sometimes to this day, I sit back and I go, could God really forgive me for saying that? Like I was in a a low point in my life, just which doesn't make it an excuse to say something so harsh and mean to my grandma, but could God really forgive me? for being that brutal to my grandma? And probably each of us, there's moments in our life where we've made some dumb decisions, whether we've said something to somebody, whether we've done something to somebody, and we wonder, is it really possible that God could forgive me for this? Could he really take my sin away and could he really blot this out because of what I chose to do? Because of the way I talked about that person behind their back? because of the way that I chose to act out against my parents, for the way that I turned my back on Him and didn't want anything to do with this relationship anymore. We probably all have some moment, and for each and every one of us, it's different. Some of us, it may be something so small, a thought we had that was just really toxic, and we're like, could I, Could God really forgive me for that? And I think what's extremely challenging for me as I've been thinking through this this week is that we have the whole point of of what I'm trying to point you to is God is the greatest of all time. The definition in and of itself is that there can only be one greatest of all time. We debate all the time who the greatest of all time is, but as there can only be one greatest of all time, And what's very interesting to me is that in order to be the greatest of all time, in the perfect sense of the word, there has to be somebody that's great in all areas of their life. So God just can't be somebody that is extremely loving, extremely caring, but there's certain sins that he just can't forgive. God can be so compassionate, and He can even feel empathy for you and feel sad for you, but He can't forgive what you said. That's not how it works. He can't be the greatest of all time if He's not great in all areas, and if He doesn't do what He says He would. And so I want you to think about, as we look at a story today, maybe a moment in your own life that you've really wrestled with, even to this moment is, That's only one moment. There's many moments in my life that I've asked that question that you've maybe been wrestling it around in your head going, could I really be forgiven for that? Could could God really take that away from me? Because the whole idea is that God's qualities themselves will show why he is the greatest of all time. I don't have to make a case for God. I don't have to bring you all these statistics. I don't have to bring you all these verses. I just have to tell you who he is and that's going to explain for itself how great he really is. Many, many years ago on this day, Palm Sunday, Jesus rides into Jerusalem and everybody's praising him. And this coming Friday, Good Friday, he'll be nailed to a cross. This is the shift in the story, in the greatest of all time, and he's going to pay for your sins on the cross and forgive them. The greatest of all time, the goat, is always forgiving. That's what we're going to look at today. He's always forgiving. I'm going to take you to a story, and I'm going to kind of give you the cliff notes because it's it's a longer story, but in 2 Samuel chapter 11, some of you have probably heard this story. You may not know the reference. Um, but but a story we've probably heard before. And and what this story is, is there was a king a long time ago named King David. King David was supposed supposed to be and still is one of the greatest kings to ever reign. He was a man after my own heart, as God said. He was a man after God's heart. But just like David and just like us, not everybody is perfect. We make mistakes. We mess up. We choose to go the way our flesh goes. And so there's one day, as he sends all of his armies off to war, that he stays back. Different translations will tell you, um, at at night, mine says here, late one afternoon, David got out of bed after taking a nap. So whatever you want to say, at some point, he laid down, taking a nap. He gets up, and he's out on his balcony. And as he's out on his balcony, he looks over, and he sees this gorgeous, woman, taken bath He's standing up there, and he's like, you know, instead of being the godly man that he probably should have, he sees that and should have turned around and went right back inside, but that's not how David works. He took a double take and a triple take, and then he kept staring for a while. He's like, man, there's something about this woman that is amazing. Go figure out, he tells his servants, he says, go figure out whose wife this is, and get the situation for me. So they go, they tell him, you know, she is the wife of Uriah. Her name is Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah, and and she's married. Somehow, there's this ability that he brings her back to his palace. He sleeps with her. So there's a second mistake. He sleeps with her, and then he gets her pregnant. And so she goes back home. She sends word that she's pregnant, and now David's freaking out. I got to do something now because I didn't only make a mistake in sleeping with another man's wife. I've gotten her pregnant, so i got to figure this out. So he sends word to his army, because Uriah is out fighting with the army, and he says, you need to come back home. So he comes back home, comes to David. David's talking to him, and he says, okay, here's what I need you to do. You've been away for a while. You've been fighting. You've been giving it your all. You've been serving this country well. Why don't you go home and spend time with your wife? In his mind, what he's thinking of is, okay, if he goes home and he sleeps with her, then, then they'll think it's their baby, and then, then I'll be out of the woods, and I'm clear, and I don't have to worry about it. But the twist in the story is that Uriah doesn't go home. He refuses to go home, and he sleeps on the steps of the palace outside of where King David's at, because, these are the words he said, my men are out there fighting and giving their lives for for." For our country, in a sense. And you want me to go home and just have fun? Those are That's my nutshell version. That's what he says. So David's like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to work a little harder to do this. So he says, why don't you stay a couple more days and then you can go back and fight. And they say, okay. So he comes um, in a few days and they have this big feast. They eat all this food. David keeps giving him a bunch of drinks and gets Uriah drunk. He's like, okay, if I can get him drunk, then he'll maybe go home, and then he'll sleep with his wife. And so he does all this, and again, Uriah will not go home. He spends the night on the palace steps, and David said, well, I guess I'm going to have to send him back. So he sends Uriah back with a message that he wrote, and this is what the little, little envelope said, basically. I want you to put Uriah on the front lines so that he gets killed. That's what he wants him to do. He said, put him on the front lines, pull everybody back so he will get killed. And we're just going to eliminate him from the picture so then I can just have his wife and this baby. And so that's exactly what they did. They put him on the front lines, they pull back, Uriah dies, and they send word back that Uriah is dead. And then they let Bathsheba know, your husband has died, um, and she mourns. After this certain period, it says, when Bathsheba heard in, in 2 Samuel verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 26, Heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her back to the palace to become one of his wives. So this is all that he sets up, this whole story, after he finally, he get, he sees Bathsheba, thinks she's gorgeous, says, I want to sleep with her, sleeps with her, gets her pregnant, figures out this is another man's wife, so i got to figure out a plan to, to get this all together. It doesn't work out, so he just says, well, I'm just going to kill Uriah. And after he kills Uriah, he gets his wife, and brings it on as hers, or his. Then there's an interesting twist in the story after this. Then his little buddy in, in chapter 12, Nathan, comes up to him. He tells him a story. This is the worst. I've had stories like this. When I got in trouble, my dad would come to me and tell me a story to illustrate something, and then it ends up being me. And this is exactly what Nathan does. Nathan comes up to Dave and he says, Okay, let's just imagine this for a second. Let's imagine this. And David's like, okay. There was a guy, there was a rich man, there was a poor man. This poor man had one little lamb that he did everything with. This little lamb, he he walked with it, he carried it, he snuggled it, he even let it come eat the table scraps off the table. He loved this thing incredibly. And they had this rich man who has all these different lambs and goats and all these different animals, and, and he's just living his high life. One day, the rich man has some guests that come in, and instead of the rich man just going to his own flock where he has all these animals that he could kill and cook for his guests to eat, he goes to the one poor man who this lamb is everything to him, and he kills the lamb. He cooks it and serves it to his guests. What do you think should happen? And David's furious. He said not only... Should this man repay him back for the goat that he killed or lamb, he should pay him four times as much for that. And he sees the anger boiling up in David's face. And Nathan goes, in my words, in a nutshell, that's you. You took Uriah's wife and you killed him and took his wife for your own. And David is in shock. And then this is, I think, the most important verse I want to focus on is in chapter 12, verse 13. It says, then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. And you won't die for this sin. So just take all of this story. It's wild. It's in the Bible. This whole story unfolds. David, this man that's supposed to be an amazing king, a man after God's own heart, you think this guy probably makes some mistakes, but nothing very big, just some small things that maybe he said something he shouldn't have said or maybe he turned on somebody because he is the king. He has the power to do whatever he wants. He's the king. He's going to mess up. But nobody would have thought that David... Is gonna take another man's wife, sleep with her, get her pregnant, and then not figure out not just confess to what he did, but ends up killing then his husband, her husband, and then taking the wife as his own. David's a murderer, David's an adulterer. David in a sense used his power as a king to get what he wanted. God, there's no way you can forgive that. There's no way our God's big enough to forgive that. I mean, this is a track record. This is like an entire life of sins all within like a month. You're saying all this stuff God can just forgive? And this is that's what Nathan says. Nathan replied, yes, but the Lord has forgiven you. I feel like a lot of times, it's really easy to look at other people's sin and problems and circumstances and stories, and we're okay if God can't forgive them. But he wouldn't be the greatest of all time if he just forgave some people and he just forgave some circumstances. Who he is is the greatest of all time because he forgives, and not only forgives, but always forgives. David's forgiven. Even though he messed up, even though he chose to go his own way, God says, I still forgive you. I still love you. These things interconnect, even looking last week at the love. He has such a love for us that he wants to forgive us. Even when we turn our back on him. There is no stipulations in his forgiveness. There is no conditions in his forgiveness. Confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive them. Our God is the greatest of all time because even someone like David can make mistakes, can mess up, Yet God still forgives them. And there's many stories like this. John chapter 8. These Pharisees bring in this woman who's been caught in the act of adultery. You've probably heard this story. She's caught in the act of adultery. They got her in the middle. They're bringing all this attention to her. Look at what she's done. She's messed up. The law says we're supposed to sown her. What do you think, Jesus? Jesus decides he wants to doodle for a little bit. So he gets down in the dust and he starts doodling. They keep pestering Him. Finally, He stands up and He says, You who is without sin, throw the first stone. One by one, they walk out. And Jesus ends the story in John chapter 8 by saying this. Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. I don't hold this against you for what you've done. Go. Choose different decisions in your life. Stop trying to mess up and do things that are against me. I forgive you. I was also looking this morning in, in Acts chapter 8. There's a story of, um, or chapter 7, of a guy named Stephen. Stephen's trying to make a difference for Jesus. They end up stoning him. And these are his last words before he dies. And he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. God, don't hold this against them. Just because they chose to kill me, don't hold it against them. Forgive them. Even Jesus says it from the cross. Forgive them for they know not what they are doing. It's who his character is. You can go story after story, even the prodigal son we looked at last week. There's a sense of forgiveness when he says, don't worry about everything that you chose to do. Let's throw a party and celebrate. Jesus shows that he can forgive. So let's bring this into your neighborhood as we close this up here. We can look at all these stories in Scripture. We can look at God, and we can see that His forgiveness is unconditional. He's always going to give it. There aren't certain things He'll forgive and certain things He won't forgive. No, 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 no. He says that He will forgive you. Where are you wrestling in your own life, wondering if He really will forgive you? Maybe you don't have a story like David and you're like, well, I don't really have all these crazy things that are happening or I didn't choose to do all these crazy things. But there are some things in my life that I'm just really wondering, can I be forgiven for them? And one question further I want to press into, not only do you just know that he will forgive you, do you really feel like he forgave you or will forgive you? Because all of us can stand here and say, yeah, well, he forgave me. But do you really feel down in your heart that Jesus forgives you? God forgives you. Not just a head thing that I know he forgives, but I feel it in my heart and I know in my heart that he has forgiven me for that. If he can forgive David for being a murderer, for being an adulterer, for using his power in a bad way, could he not forgive you? for what you've done. There's a woman caught in adultery. He forgives her. Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit, they just want to penetrate you with forgiveness in your life. And I think what a time as we come into Easter that you really take a look at your life because I know there's so many times in my life that I really struggled to wonder, could God really forgive me? And He looks at you with such love, and He just wants to forgive you. And so I challenge you, as you keep walking in this relationship, don't think you're too broken, you're too dirty, you've messed up too much, that God can't wipe your slate clean. Because he's the greatest of all time for a reason, and he wants to forgive you. I close with this story. There was a there's a guy in South Africa. Um, I just looked um, right before I started, and he died actually in December of 2021, so not very long ago. But his name was Desmond Tutu. Now it's kind of a weird name. Desmond Tutu is his name, and he was commissioned in South Africa. to to bring this Truth and Reconciliation Committee together to start hearing testimonies from people in South Africa. You say, well, what was he hearing testimonies for? So there was this regime, this social policy, whatever you want to call, and I'm not going to say it right, but I think it's called the apartheid that was passed over in South Africa. Basically, in the gist of it, from what I understand, is that it gave all these rights and privileges to white people, and you were allowed to segregate black people. That's kind of the nutshell of it. Whites got all these privileges to own land, to do all these things, and even within this policy, there was stuff passed that if violence and death needed to uh, to happen to a black person, then the police could do it. So there's this whole policy that's been passed and there's years and years of this unrest happening in South Africa. Desmond Tutu has now been commissioned with a bunch of other people that they're going to bring some truth to what really happened and some reconciliation into the land of South Africa. And so one woman takes the stand, and, and I haven't read fully his book, but if you want an amazing book, and it's, it is graphic, though, because of the testimonies they're sharing, there's, it's called No Future Without Forgiveness, This is Desmond Tutu's book of all these testimonies he heard and how they navigated this. And in this book, there's one story of this girl. She takes the stand and she can barely even kind of talk. She's shaken. And this is what she starts to describe. She said, I was in my house one day and and our TV's on and, and her sister is in the other room. And she says, you've got to come here you got to come here. And so she runs into the living room. And on the TV, she sees something that looks a little familiar to her. And it's her dad's car. And what she also sees on the TV is not only her dad's car, but her dad's car is on fire. And there's flames coming out of the doors. And she starts to get a little queasy. She starts to get a little unrest in her soul because she's like, "What, what happened to my dad? And so they figure out it is her dad's car. They go down. Um, to where this spot's at, and they figure out um, that it was her dad. They had killed her dad, and she goes to the police um, and, and gets the report of what happened. And, and I don't remember all the different things, but they had done, um, there was like 25 stab wounds in his chest. There was poison and, and, and acid poured all over him. They had cut off his right hand, and all this mutilation that happened to this guy. She's telling this story, in the courtroom to to this commission. And she pauses for a second, and she's trying to catch her breath. And and this is so powerful to me. She catches her breath, and she looks up, and she says, word by word, I I don't know if it's exactly right, but basically, we want to forgive, we just don't know who to forgive. Can you imagine that? She's standing in a courtroom with people that have killed her father. We're not just talking like an animal. We're not just talking like they blew up my house. No, they killed her father. And she stands there looking at the commission, straight in the eyes and says, I want to forgive. I just don't know who. I feel like that's the voice of our father, except he knows who to forgive. He says, I want to forgive. This girl had every right to say, well, you you totally messed up my dad. You killed him. I don't need to forgive you. God has every right to say that to us. Yet, just like the woman, he wants and does forgive each and every time. Will you believe that he's the greatest of all time because he forgives? You have a Father that loves you unconditionally and not only loves you unconditionally, but will always forgive you.